This is Law of Attraction Explored. I'm Tim Grimes. If you'd like a free guide that explains the hidden link between relaxation and the Law of Attraction, or if you want more information about my books or my coaching, you can visit RadicalCounselor.com. Enjoy the episode. So I thought that we would dive back into something a little bit more spiritual sounding today. Last episode, we were talking about the seemingly obvious practical usages of these law of attraction principles, especially as they are explained so well and so clearly by Kuei and how he explained these principles over 100 years ago. And they're so clear and so seemingly obvious that we often seem to miss their profundity. And I think that is a nice segue to now go back to more of a spiritual angle discussing these subjects in the same obvious way and kind of just looking at some of the prevalent issues that we see in our own life when we're applying these principles and also in this, I guess you could say, law of attraction community at large, where there's a tendency to become dogmatic And, you know, I said last episode, overly rational, overly scientific in terms of approaching these principles and explaining these principles. And when we become overly anything, okay, overly in our head, I would say, overly logical for sure uh, in applying these principles, they just don't work well. They just don't work well. This is something that we have to apply with our whole mind and body, okay? You know, we can use more psychological terms like our subconscious and our imagination and utilizing our imagination, but when you're utilizing your subconscious or your imagination, you're doing it with your whole mind and body. You're not just doing it with your mind. It's not just in your head. It's your whole physical being that is making the process happen. And that's one reason I got so into this stuff is because I've always been fascinated by this mind-body connection. So this idea of being dogmatic about these, about these principles has, has really been on my mind uh, recently because I've been looking at some of Neville's work and I've actually posted a few things on the Neville Reddit or the Neville subreddit page just about his work because Neville Goddess, a.k.a. Maggie, is a a new moderator over there on that subreddit. Her YouTube channel is Neville Goddess. I'll link to it on this page. She talks about Neville's teachings in a very non-dogmatic, practical way. Exactly how you should approach his teachings, in my opinion, in the sense that it's very open, which is kind of like what we're always talking about on this podcast, is not being overly in your head, but applying this stuff in the way that works best for you. Anyway, she is now uh, moderating the Neville subreddit, and there is more intelligent discussion on that page than there has been in quite a while because of that. And with that said, what you notice, why this has all been in my mind, how this all links together, is that when you go on a place like Reddit, and I've mentioned this on some of my, in some of my YouTube videos, when you go on a place like Reddit or on YouTube, and you are discussing a teaching 
like Neville's teachings, it's amazing how quickly people become dogmatic and insistent on interpreting and applying a teaching in a certain way. You know, you've got people on these Reddit pages or on these YouTube channels who are just saying, you know, just live in the end, just feel your wish fulfilled and that's it. As if that really is a solution that will work for most people. And it's just, it's not, you know, there's too much other stuff going on in our mind and in our body to just live in the end for most people and still manifest your big desire. There's too much resistance. There's too much pain that you have to move through. You know, you can't just give dogmatic advice like live in the end or, you know, revise your story and it's going to be fine or just say, isn't it wonderful over and over again and just think everything is going to magically change. There's so much more going on. And I know, you know, we all have our preferences and I say stuff like, you know, Kuwe is the best law of attraction teacher. I make big statements too, but the point is any statement I make or any teacher makes or any commentator makes is hopefully just pointing you to something that is larger and that affects your whole mind and body. And it's not a logical solution we're looking for. We're looking for something far, far deeper that is beyond words. And so uh, with that in mind, um, I thought I would read a little bit from an H. Emily Cady essay because as you know, we've, we've talked about many times, Cady talks about these law of attraction principles in this mature, open, totally non-dogmatic way. And in my opinion, in you know, a really spiritual way, more spiritual, I would say, than basically any other law of attraction teacher, she talks about these concepts in just this beautiful, open way. So I thought I would read from her essay called Unity of Spirit. And like, you know, basically all of her essays, um, this essay is a masterpiece, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit and point out a few things because I think it's enlightening to read it and also um, very humbling. Because I think that's really what I'm trying to get at here is that applying these concepts is very humbling and very moving. And whenever I see people being so rigid and dogmatic explaining them, it always kind of gives me the willies and it just doesn't seem true. So in Unity of the Spirit, excuse me, it wasn't called Unity of Spirit, it's called Unity of the Spirit is the name of the essay. Katie writes, Were it not at times so utterly ridiculous, it would always be pitiful to see the human mind of man trying to limit God to personal comprehension as though the finite could ever completely encompass or comprehend the infinite. However much any one of us may know of God, there will always be unexplored fields in the realms of expression. And it is evidence of our narrow vision to say, this is all there is of God. So, you know, that, that's what we're, we're talking about here, is um, we become overly logical. We want to be scientific about these ideas. And frankly, that's just going to limit it. Really, we want to be as open and expansive as possible. And we want to be um, willing to, to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know everything. And that's fine. We had that episode where we were just talking about uh, Soong San, the Zen Korean master, you know, and his big thing was just saying, only don't know. Only don't know. And that's, uh, that's beautiful. Later on in the essay, uh, Katie writes, from time immemorial, 
there have been schisms and divisions among religious sects and denominations. And now with the newer light that we have, even the light of the knowledge of one God immanent in all men, many still cling to external differences, so postponing instead of hastening the day of the millennium. At least they postpone it for themselves. All this means is that, you know, we say Neville is the best or Abraham Hicks is the best or so-and-so is the best. And this is the only teaching that works or this is all you have to listen to and this is it. Even though we're talking about this far out New Age stuff, it's no different than back in the old days when we had these, you know, religious sects fighting each other for no good reason. You know, everybody wants to be right. And the point is that no one's right and no one's wrong if you want to get spiritual about it. She goes on later to write, I want to stimulate you to lose sight of all differences, all side issues and lesser things, and seek but for one thing. That is the consciousness of the presence of an indwelling God in you and your life. And believe me, just as there is less separation between the spokes of a wheel, the nearer you get to the hub, so you will find that the nearer you both come to the perfect center, which is the Father, the less difference will there be between you and your brother. Later on, she says, Beloved, as surely as you and I live, it is all one and the same truth. There may be a distinction, but it is without difference. I love that line. There may be a distinction, but it is without difference. So we discuss all these different approaches, these different LOA concepts and and teachers, and they may seem different, but they're all leading and pointing to the same thing. There's no best or one way. Katie goes on to write later, The teachings of spirit are intrinsically the same because spirit is one. And even later on, and this is when it gets, I guess you could say, more uh, introspective even and more spiritual and even harder to put language and words to. Katie says, I do not at all understand it, but in some way, this indwelling one does move to lift the consciousness of his children up and to place it parallel with God, principle, law so that no longer two are crossed, but the two, I, the three, the human consciousness, the indwelling individual Father, and the Holy Spirit are made one. In every life, with our present limited understanding, there comes times when the bravest heart goes down for the moment under the apparent burdens of life, times when the strongest intellect bends like a reed shaken by the wind, Matthew eleven seven, when the most self-sufficient mind feels a helplessness that rings from it a cry for help from the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61, 2. So, you know, here she says, I don't understand it. This doesn't make sense. You know, like, but this is the way it is. You know, this is kind of like what I talk about in The Joy of Not Thinking. It's like, you can't understand this intellectually. It doesn't make sense. But this is, this is God. This is how it seemingly happens, you know. And she goes on to write, Every metaphysician either has reached or must in the future reach this place, the place where God as cold principle alone will not suffice any more than in the past God as personality alone could wholly satisfy. There will come moments when the human heart is so suddenly struck as to paralyze it, and for the moment it is impossible, even with strained effort, to think right thoughts. At such times, there will come but little comfort from the thought, the suffering comes as the result of my wrong thinking. But God, my Father, takes no cognizance of it. 
I must work it out unaided and alone. Here she's saying, you know, when you feel like crap, just that thought that, you know, there's no suffering in God, that alone is probably not going to make you feel better, right? She goes on to write, just here we must have, and we do have, the motherhood of God, which is not cold principle any more than your love for your child is cold. I would not make God as principle less, but God as individual more. The whole business of your Lord, the Father in you, is to care for you, to love you with an everlasting love, to note your slightest cry, and to rescue you. Then you ask, why doesn't he do it? Because you do not recognize his indwelling and his power. And by resolutely affirming that he does now manifest himself as your all-sufficiency, call him forth into visibility. God, Father, Mother, is a present help in time of need. But there must be a recognition of his presence, a turning away from human efforts, and an acknowledgement of God only, a single eye, before he becomes manifest. Uh, so those excerpts I just read, particularly that, that last longer excerpt, excerpt is just so <laughs> profound. I really suggest um, checking out Unity of the Spirit, that essay, and just reading it, because I don't know if I just did it justice. The point is that God is beyond any principle or concept that we could fathom in our head. And that's very humbling. And also the greatest of all relief. And when we talk about becoming present in the show, as we often do, and kind of meditating on that nowness, that's kind of what we're touching and, touching and tapping into as well. The acknowledgement of God only. And there's no words that are ever going to explain that. And we should be very thankful that that's the case. 